about Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We have been on this journey with Jesus. We, Luke records in such a way where uh, he, he tells us about Jesus' ministry in Galilee and spends all of his time at, on the front end uh, focusing on Galilee. And then he has this one trip to Jerusalem. Now, John records it very differently. Last year when we went through John, you see John says it was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, and we were headed to Jerusalem, or it was the time of Feast of Dedication, or it was the time of... And John focused very much on the feast and the timing of that. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we know that Jesus had a three-year ministry is because when we read through John, we see it's very divided up into three distinct years. If he's going to Jerusalem for Passover here, and then a little bit later he's going to Jerusalem for Passover again, and then a third time he's going, we see that Jesus' ministry was divided up over three years. We see that very clearly in John. Luke takes a very different approach. He just focuses on Galilee, and then it, he, he says, okay, now Jesus has set his, his eyes to head to Jerusalem. And then he, he heads out. And we've been, you know, so we, we spent the first part of the series of this trilogy uh, of, of messages, the first part focused on Galilee. And then the second part of this trilogy is this journey that he starts out in Galilee, and then he goes through Samaria and hits all these different villages along the way. Interesting, Luke doesn't really mention a lot of the Samaritan villages by name. He just says, a, you know, a village you know, in Samaria. And so we get, we get through, and now, here we are in Luke chapter 18, and Jesus and his entourage, they're approaching Jericho. They're not in Jericho yet, but they're approaching Jericho. They're, they're, they're getting there. Uh, on the map, you can kind of see where Jericho is in relation to Jerusalem. You know, so you kind of see he's got a little bit to go. If you were to map that out with uh, uh, distance, it would be about 18 miles uh, so he's got about 18 miles uh, left traveling on foot, you know. So we don't think much about going 18 miles today, but 18 miles on foot. So he's got a little bit to go, right? He's, he's still got a little bit of a trek uh, to make it from Jericho uh, all the way back into, into Jerusalem. So he's approaching Jericho. That's kind of where we're at today. Last week, if you were here last week in chapter 17... It kind of asked this question, right? And I ask you this question as well. It was, um, and most of us would have the same answer. Um, and that, the question was this. If, if you could grow in your faith, do you want to grow in your faith? And it's an obvious answer for Christians, right? I mean, we, well, of course, yeah, yeah, we want to grow in our faith. And what did chapter 17 do? Chapter 17 says, you want to grow in your faith? Here's how. Here's some things. And, and if you remember, it was sequential like, do this, do this, do this, uh, and you can grow in your faith. Chapter 18 does something very similar. Chapter 18 presents a different type of question to us, but it still gives us four snapshots in the same way that chapter 17 gave us four snapshots uh, in growing in your faith. Chapter 18 gives us four snapshots, but the question is this. Do you want God's favor in your life? That's another one of those questions that you go, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I want God's favor. I want, I want God's favor to be upon me. Well, how do you obtain God's favor, right? 
And so we're given in chapter 18, we're given these four snapshots. And really, of the four snapshots, the way that it, this one is listed, keep in mind, what do we do? Whenever you start to see a list, by the time you get to the third one, you start asking questions. You ask questions like, what's the relationship between them? Are they sequential? Does this one demand this one, or does this one demand this one? Uh, is there a natural progression? Is there a digression? What's going on with this list? Um, to give you a heads up as we go through this, it's a list of four things. The first three are typical attempts. They're typical attempts for people to gain God's favor. And they're not sequential. They seem to, to be they, they seem to be isolated in the sense that people will try this one or they'll try this one or they'll try this one. But they could come in any order. They could come in combination. But these three are the three common attempts that people have when they want God's favor. And then we get to the fourth snapshot. And we'll look at it today. And that fourth snapshot says, you want God's favor in your life? This is it. This is how it's done. So that's where we're headed. So we're in Luke chapter 18. Uh, with that in mind, Jesus is approaching Jericho, 18 miles to Jerusalem. It reminds me of a song, 18 Miles to Memphis, but maybe we can write a song called 18 Miles to Jerusalem. But anyway, uh, let's give you key point number one. We'll unpack it from Scripture. Key point number one is this. We don't have to beg for God's favor. We don't have to beg for God's favor. Let's look at it. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, I get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, before we jump in and make some points of application there's a couple of things that I want us to take note of before we do that, before we, before we make application. First, I want us to consider the historical context of this parable. Uh, Jesus is again speaking in a parable, and uh, there are uh, some uh, historical considerations of what's taking place here uh, within, within this parable. In the historical context, uh, the widow has three obstacles that she would have to overcome. We had, and understanding that culture and understanding the culture of, of Jesus' time in this first, first century Palestine, uh, the first obstacle that she would have to overcome in getting on the docket, if you will, of uh, this court system was the fact that she was a woman. In the culture, in the time, you know, she's a woman. She has a legitimate uh, case that she wants to bring to court, but she is a woman, and she has that obstacle in first century. 
how do I get the judge to hear me um, when they typically are not going to listen to me or respect me enough to, to make my, to, for me to make my case? It would be very, very hard uh, for a woman in first century to get her case on the docket. The second obstacle that she had was the fact that she was a widow. Not only does she uh, have the fact that she is a woman, now she's a widow, which, which means she has this additional obstacle that if she were married, at least she would have a husband who could, on her behalf, be an advocate and could say, let's get this taken care of. And at least then the, in that culture, there would have been someone who would have said, yes, we'll, we'll make sure we get the case on the docket. So she has two obstacles so far, the fact that she's a woman, secondly, that she's a widow. And because of that, it leads us to that third obstacle. She was very likely poor because she was a woman, a widow, that naturally leads to the, to the concept that she was poor. She didn't have money. And what would that mean? Well, it would mean that she wouldn't have the financial means to bribe those who are putting together the docket. You know, in this system, they didn't have nice big court buildings, you know, courthouses. Instead, they have these tents that they would set up and they would move uh, from town to town and set up the tent. And then the judge would come in and you could come and make your case. And they had a, a number of people that, that set up. You want your case to be heard on the docket. Then there's these guys who are going to, they're going to put the list together for the judge to hear. And if you want to be bumped up on that list... You know, there's a, there's a financial uh, incentive for you to, hey, give them a little, you know, side, uh, some money on the side, and then what? Yeah, we'll make sure that you're on the docket. So she's got all of these obstacles to overcome. She's a woman. She's a widow. She's poor. She can't just go in and just, uh, even though she has a legitimate case, she can't get her name on the docket. So with that little bit of historical context in mind, we know that she has these difficulties, obstacles that are standing in her way. So let's consider some observations. One of the things that we've discovered is that, and we've mentioned this before, when we read through parables, our tendency is to what? Our tendency is to read through a parable, find the hero, and go, that's, who, that's, that's me, right? We're, we're supposed to be like the hero, Right? That's not how we should read parables. We don't immediately look for the parable and go, I'm the hero. I should be more like the hero. And yet, yes, ultimately, here's what we should walk away with. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is always the hero in the narrative. Should we be like Jesus? Yes. But the parable is not about you. It's about Jesus, first of all. And then we should, we should say, okay, I need to be more like Jesus. But typically in the parable, we're the ones uh, that are struggling or have obstacles and so forth. So with that in mind, what's, our tendency is to then do what? Our tendency is to find ourselves in the parable or to make comparisons. We, we know that the parables are written uh, with an with a earthly story and a heavenly truth. We know that there's, there's two things going on here. And our tendency then is to immediately start making comparisons. Well, the judge must be God and the widow must be the, you know, us as, as believers. And then our tendency is to do what? If that's the approach that we take, we say, okay, clearly ju the ju God is the judge. We are like the widow. And we're supposed to just be persistent with our, you know, coming before God and, and wear him down, so to speak, 
to get what we want. And if we're not careful, that's what we draw, walk away from with, right? We walk away and go, yeah, we're supposed to be like this widow. But consider this. Before we jump in and make a comparison, um, sometimes parables are written not for a comparison, but for a contrast. What do I mean by that? The parable isn't, here's what to do. Sometimes the parable is, here's what not to do. So how do we, how do we know that? How do we get there from this? Here's what I, here's what I mean by that. We, we typically would look at this and read it and go, well, God is the judge, right? We think of God as a judge. Therefore, clearly in this parable, God must be the judge, and we must be the widow, and we have to be persistent like she was. But listen to this. That's a, that's a comparison. A contrast is recognizing the judge is not a picture of God. The judge is a contrast to the character of God. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 6. Verse 6, how does Jesus describe this judge? He says, this judge is what? Unjust. Unjust. That's not God. That's not the character of God, is it? That's just the opposite. This is a contrast to the character of God. This isn't, this isn't a picture of God. This is the complete opposite of what God is. So then, if, if, it, if that's the case, this is the opposite of God's character. Look again, notice verse 5. The judge responds, why? Because he's annoyed by the widow. <laughs> that's not the God I know, right? God, isn't, God doesn't respond to us because he's annoyed by us. You know, when we're, when we're reading through this, we shouldn't go, okay, yeah, clearly the judge is God, and we're supposed to be persistent and just annoy the, the, you know, the crap out of God. That's not what it's saying, right? We're, we're, to, we're to go before the Lord and, and, and appeal to him, but not in, not in the same way that it's being described here. So if the judge is not a comparison of the, of the uh, character of God, but rather a contrast to the character of God then the same would be true for what? The widow. Are you following me? If, that, if it's saying, here's a contract, here's God. God. God's character is not like this judge. God is just. This judge is unjust. God is patient. This judge gets annoyed. You see the contrast here. So then over here we have this widow. And our tendency is to do what? Well, we must be like, we want to make the comparison. Let's not make the comparison. Let's do what? Make the contrast. So then if this is a picture of the contrast, then we are a contrast to the widow. Our, the lesson here in the parable is not pester God until you just annoy him and get what you want. The lesson of the parable is that God is patient with us, and he is not annoyed by us. Look at verse 7. It says this. It says, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? What is this? He's not annoyed. He's not annoyed. He's patient. He's bearing with you. He's bearing with you. He recognizes this is, this is uh, something that's heavy on your heart and you're coming before the Lord. He is not annoyed. He is patient with us. And then look at verse 8. 
I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. God isn't like an unjust judge. What does God do? God removes obstacles. The obstacles that are in our way that hinder us and keep us from getting to the good judge, the good judge, God, says, you know what? I'm not unjust. You don't have to bribe people to get to me. You don't have to do all of these things. You don't have to have... He is removing the obstacles so that no matter who you are, you have the ability to come before a just God. That's the contrast. That's who God is. We don't have to beg for God's favor. We don't have to beg for it. You want God's favor in your life? Let me assure you of this. You don't have to continually beg God and say, God, I know know I'm annoying to you. No, God is not annoyed by you coming before him and saying, God, I need your favor. We don't have to beg for it. We don't have to beg for God's favor. He is eager. Hear me on this. He is eager to hear your 